Okay, so you have a new book out. Tell everyone about it. Yes, uh, the new book is called Let the Wild Grasses Grow. It's inspired by my grandma and grandpa Cordova, Della Chavez and, and John Cordova, and it's kind of a look at what would happen to them if I, if these two favorite people in my life lived, well, they did live during the 1920s, but what, what could I envision happen to them throughout that time? You can pick it up at toryhousepress.org or anywhere else that you buy your books, preferably independent bookstores. Thank you. This is Case Johnson. This is a Literally Podcast. We're podcasting today from Banyan Studio on historic on historic 25th Street in Ogden, Utah. Today our guest is Adrian Stump, and we're going to talk about his new novel and a lot of other things, but the new novel is called The Crow's Head, The Chemical Marriage, Book One. Adrian is joining us in person today, which is rare, but it's great. That means we have an Ogden author or a local author with us. Um, it's been a while since we've been able to do it. I'm glad to be here. It's been since April. Or- yeah, Case, you're also in person. This is... Also a person, and I started the day off. I asked Brandon if, when Adrian got here, if he we needed my computer to zoom Adrian in, and but Adrian was here with us, so that just shows you where my brain is these days. But um, we're going to talk about uh, the Crow's Head, the Chemical Marriage, Book One. Uh, welcome, Adrian. Thanks, Case. I'm glad to get to talk to you. Yeah, it's it's really fun to actually be in person and not staring at a little screen and. So let's start. Should we start with the reading? Should we do a reading later? What should we do, Brandon? We can start with the reading. Let's start with the reading. Yeah, let's start with the reading. Um, Okay. Here you go. If you haven't seen that, I said, here you go. This was a... (laughs) Here's your own own book. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And if you don't know, just to tell everybody, I've had a, a, a wonderful Rooster's Hard Seltzer, which is our sponsor, right, Brandon? Well, of not this show, but another show, Van Sessions. They should sponsor this show. Kim... Kim Bouchard, if you're listening, I, your son is in my class right now. And <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. If you do not sponsor this show, his grade is in jeopardy. <laughs> How's that sound? That's, well, well I haven't good. been, I haven't had a lot to eat today, but I'm two of these in. So yeah, yeah. And the seltzers will catch up on you. You gotta be careful. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, I last that long too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on my second as well. So. Good. All right. Let's let's hear the reading. Okay. Albert's breath rises in firelight. Bitter cold in the mountains and the peasants sparse this far from the village. Days go by without language soiling the forest. He has not laid eyes on a human being since Michaelmas. Poimandries, his only company, spends most of his life asleep by the fire or purring in Albert's greatcoat. The roof needs mending, but there are no iron nails and no chance to get some before spring. So he does his best with peat moss and river clay. The daub mortar freezes and cracks. It falls off one wall and leaks what little warmth the hearth provides. Heat flies out the same way cold leeches in. On the worst nights, he heats a lead bar until its belly turns purple. He moves it with an iron, with a fire iron to a leather pocket sewn into the mattress. Keeps the hay warm and the rot out. Sometimes in his sleep, he kicks the lead and blisters the soles of his feet. Mornings bring rhyme glittering on the furs he keeps for blankets. The days last only a few hours, long enough to fetch water from the brook and chop enough wood to keep thawed another night. He works on the chapel until last light bleeds on the mountains round about. Nights wild by firelight over astrological charts, reading the sky and writing it on paper with a square and compass. Light poured by the gods as they wander in heaven. 
It says the time is coming to begin again. Stars promise it will work this time. In a few months, the Lord of Aries will bring a grand cross. Mercury in conjunction with Saturn opposite Venus and Jove. The sun and moon in the first and eighth houses trine to Mars. Time comes again to bend the elements. Make fire and water dance with earth and air. The dance begins with dragon blood, the primary material of the cosmos, taint in the heart of God. It existed at the moment of creation as the one and only substance, prime matter. All the elements are born of its decay and atoned in its perfection. Every object and force, every emotion and thought are other names for the dragon. The thought and the thinker and that which it thinks about are symptoms of the blood. When the ink freezes, Albert sets the well to thaw on a flagstone above the fire and goes to bed. In the morning, he fetches the dragon. He knows where to seek it. He learns it from the trees, branches that groan under fresh snow, the muffled thump of down deadwood. Let gray alders point the way. He follows the murmuring brook, whispering to rocks beneath a skin of flow ice, to a crag in the limestone face, drawn like a migrant bird back to the place of his conception, digging in snow-crusted muck, midwife to the earth, reading the stones, the shifting light slants and bald beech trees, deflected by the yawning crag, numb fingers, stiff as kindling despite leather gloves. Several times he stops and holds them in his armpits to bring them back to life. At the bedrock he wipes mud away, cleaning the wound to the bone, and the blunt end of his hatchet breaks off a chunk. He cleans it with snow and turns it in his hands for inspection. A vein of oily lightning zigzags through the gray ore, like a shattered mirror that drinks up sun and reflects midnight at the sky. Hermes' signature in the earth as plain as if the god signed his name with quill and ink. The primeval chaos yearning for order, and well-ordered nature ill for want of chaos. What Albert's master taught to him as dragon blood. It glistens in the forest light. He shaves flakes from the ore with a chisel and hammer, and rubs them between his fingers, just to be sure, and he is sure. Fine black chaos as pure as he ever witnessed. He flees the ravine, chased by twilight, saying thank you as he goes to the brook water, the limestones and granites. Thank you, peat moss. Thank you, beeches, alders, and yews. The forest breaks on the horns of a waning moon. In the clearing, Albert props the stone on the stump used for a chopping block. He dresses the ore into a rough oval, flat on the bottom, and places the chisel over its heart. A single hammer stroke splits the ore neatly in half to reveal its delicate striations. Prime matter, black and grooved in its limestone prison, the soul of the elements bathed in moon milk. He will get the woman to bless it before the work begins. Slow Henry will need blessing too. Albert runs his fingers over the inky surface and pities it how it will suffer in his hands, how Albert will torture it 
and love it at the same time. The great work begins the same as it ends in fire. Okay. So like based on the reading, I think everybody can, who's listening can, I don't know, like if you're like me and we spend our days, Adrian and I spend our days in writing and we spend our days in words and we, we think about prose and we think about art, right? Um, I really, I want that this for the first question, obviously is twofold, right? It's twofold. Uh, There's two different questions. I really enjoyed reading this book because like poetry, this book is not something I could never write. This is not a book I could ever write. Cause I think, you know how it is when you look at other writers and you say, Oh my gosh, how did they write that? That's something that could have yeah. never come from my brain. My brain does not do, my brain does not work this way. So I wanted to ask you like, um, first off, the first question is I like to me the I would say it's fan- fantasy, right? But it, but it, the, the prose felt like like gothic noir, you know? Like your prose sure. is like gothic noir. It's like this really cool look where the prose mimics the story itself, where it's almost like a journey in like each paragraph feels kind of like, well, there's, there's going to be this paragraph of description, right? It's going to be a paragraph of gothic noir description where we're feeling extremely dark inside the language. And, and then the story is feeling dark at the exact same time. That's why, like I would say, it was probably like if the prose feel like gothic, gothic noir. Um, but how would you define the book? Is it is it at a crossroads with different genres, and also where conceptually did this did this begin? Because I know it's a, it's going to be a series, correct? It's going to be there multiple books, yeah, following the protagonist. First off, where would you define? I mean, so I don't want you to define it if you don't want to. I mean, that's one thing. Is like why define it if it does if it's not necessary? Because the prose was just. I loved the prose in the book because it felt gothic noir, and I like gothic. I like gothic novels. I um, mean, you may not even think that at all. You're like, oh, he thinks it's gothic noir. It's nowhere even close. But how would you? you uh, and please tell me I'm completely wrong. Um, how would you define it? And then where conceptually, like, where you, you know, my stuff always starts. My novels have always started with an essay, and they just became an exploration of the essay in fiction. So I love to hear like where this conceptually. Where this conceptually came from? Um, yeah, let me start with that, and then remind me of the first part oh, of sure, your sure, question because I'll probably forget by the time. Oh yeah, that's, that's yes. Yeah. This <laughs> the story about where it really started is maybe kind of disappointing. No, in, in uh, like no. Um, probably in like two thousand nine, I read uh, Nicholas Baspain's nonfiction book, um, A Gentle Madness, which is mm-hmm. about book collectors and um, like old libraries and. Um, book collectors and old books and like the gentle madness is um bibliophilia uh-huh one of the books that he kind of goes on about in that book is called the chemical wedding mm-hmm. and it's i just loved kind of those words together mm-hmm. like that the the wordplay of that language yeah chemical and wedding together was just super evocative to me and i just immediately thought like i I want to steal that. Mm-hmm. I want to use that title, yeah. you know, like that's a great title. Yeah. I have no idea what that is, but right. I love the title. And it was originally another a, a book or? It, yeah. So, yeah. So it's a late medieval, early Renaissance uh, alchemical allegory. Hmm. It's the actual title of it is The Chemical Wedding of Christian Rosenkreutz. Um, it's one of the founding texts of the Rosicrucians. 
Um, but so it's an alchemical allegory, but, but it reads like a fever dream hmm. because everything is symbolic in it. And there's a lot of that in your book. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is symbolic. Everything kind of means something else. And so it reads really like a kind of psychic. It reads like it was written in the sixties or the seventies, mm-hmm. or it, it reads like a Jean Genet, just really kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but not because it's like a drug addled uh, nightmare. Right. It's because everything kind of means something other than mm-hmm. what it literally means. But that's, so that's what started me down. It was, I wanted to write a book that was called the chemical wedding. So I kind of wanted to know what that meant. And I looked up the source material and discovered that. And it was just really interesting to me. And I, I started to see how I could tell a story that would matter to me and matter to people who care about the same kind of things that I care about, that I could kind of build out of this alchemical allegory. Mm-hmm. It just it just really kind of intuitively came together to me that I could see how I could kind of write about the things that are my obsessions to write about through the lens of this. And I'd always really liked uh, like retelling stories rather than trying to invent a story, mm-hmm. kind of retelling a story um, had always kind of been my mode. Mm-hmm. So that came really naturally to me. And then just the, the imagery and the subject matter, matter just felt really powerful to me. And then I did a ton of research about alchemy. Maybe another part that kind of ties into that is I'd always... I've always had kind of like a love-hate relationship with fantasy fiction. Mm-hmm. What I what I really dislike and don't don't like uh, is like escapist the the escapist aspect of mm-hmm. fantasy literature. Really, any any literature can kind of have its escapist aspect, but I just always felt really kind of resentful towards literature as escapism. Mm-hmm. I I'm, I fall into the camp that wants literature to be like, um, put me into relationship with the world that exists. Right. So with the fantasy, it's, it's too far removed. Like with your book, we have a tie to the real world and we don't, so we don't get into the stuff. I mean, there's an initial tie, a grounding in the real world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that I'm essentially a, like a literary naturalist or realist sure essentially but um but there are things about fantasy that i do like which is the the really kind of archetypal the kind of things the kind of things that are really fun that you get from something like the lord of the rings or or star wars you know where like the like the trope of like the old wise teacher right or the villain or the hero or the the dragon Mm -hmm. you know i wanted to write something that was like that but was not ironic about it, mm-hmm. um, that was kind of genuine and sincere about it, but also dealt with the world the way the world is mm-hmm. and wasn't trying to escape the world that we live in. Right. Um, and the problems that we face. And the problems that we face. Right, because right. like in the catalyst. And the context that right. we exist in. Because the catalyst in this book is built in the real world. It's built in somebody's greed, someone's greed or his want to get ahead or his want to finish, um, not in a fantasy realm. Right. Yeah. 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 And I, in the, there's a mirroring throughout 
when you read it, there's a mirroring between what, which really, I, I love uh, how Adrian explained it because throughout there's a mirroring between dreams and the real world. And, and I love that, how they weave together throughout, but now I can even see where you're coming from for the fact where in the dream world, it's doing really a lot of the same things as the real world is, but just sharing it allegorically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was super cool. Like, and I like dreams and you know, Adrian was a teacher, uh, like me and, um, you know, as he always tells your students, don't say was, 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 yeah, Yeah. he, he got out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I escaped. Un- escaped. Unlike you. Unlike me, I went, <laughs> I went back in. I don't know what I'm doing. I may eventually go back yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. But I, I needed a break. Yeah, well, <laughs> he needed a break because we talked about something that we can't put on the podcast earlier today. But um, And I love the mirroring of dreams throughout this book. And it's through two, two protagonists, right? I mean, one protagonist, but almost dual protagonists. Would you define them that way? Yeah, so part that goes into the... Um, kind of what the chemical wedding is about or mm-hmm. what the what the alchemical imagery is about which is to the so this is not so much to do with like kind of writing or literature it's really more to do with history or the history of the kind of rosicrucians i guess well explain the rosicrucians because that's a new word to me okay yeah so the rosicrucians are a secret society they're they often get compared to like the Freemasons. Mm-hmm. They're a masonic kind of like uh, secret society mm-hmm. but they were created in they kind of come out of the late, late medieval, early Renaissance world. And so as a matter of history, all that happens is that three manifestos are published. And these manifestos are kind of a call to uh, reform, mm-hmm. uh, the, which happens kind of in, in sync with uh, the Protestant Revolution. Mm-hmm. And so the, the Rosicrucian, they're kind of primary things that they are asking the world for are greater freedom for the sciences, greater freedom for the arts, kind of, uh, and, and some, something that isn't quite articulated that eventually will become uh, like Republican depo- democracy, mm-hmm. small r, yeah, Republican right, democracy. Right. Like representative. Representative democracy, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, or democratic Republicanism. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So kind of less of a stranglehold on the part of the, the clergy and the king, mm-hmm. more freedom for the arts and the sciences. These are the things that they want. They publish three manifestos, and the first one is kind of like a creation myth uh, that tells the story of their founder, who is Christian, well, uh, actually, Freighter CRC, uh, who is thought of to be um, Christian Rosenkreutz. And it's really just kind of like a, a creation myth kind of a story. Mm-hmm. The second one is a is a proper kind of political manifesto. Sure. Yeah. And then the third one is this uh, fever dream of an allegory. Hmm. And so the imagery that they take up is the imagery of alchemy, of medieval alchemy, and they adopt that as kind of like their working metaphor. What's historically interesting about them is that they come onto the scene sheerly through the publication of these three documents they raise a lot of interest a lot of people who are very famous and very important to the history of the arts and the history of the sciences Mm -hmm. kind of go looking for the rosicrucians Mm -hmm. because they want to join the rosicrucians and can't find them they don't exist really anywhere all they are is the publication of these three documents Mm. and then they are silent 
forevermore. And later on, you get the kind of creation of um, esoteric orders and secret societies that are that claim to be the Rosicrucians mm. um, in a kind of conspiracy theory, New Agery mm. kind of a way. Yeah. Um, but the but the only thing that is as a matter of like verifiable fact can be proven about them is these three the three manifesto the three manifesto huh. And so this is... So that just grabs my imagination. Oh, sure. Well, I, well I've i never heard about it. Brad, have you ever heard about this? And I am like, I'm grabbed. Uh, no, like, that, uh, not at all, but I'm fascinated, I'm fascinated right fascinated now. Yeah, that's it. wild. Yeah, I'm yeah. horribly fascinated by it. And that's where... Like the, I, I want to know more already. So, I know. That's, yeah. what, that's exactly what I was thinking. And so the book kind of came from though the chemical wedding based on... Yeah, so the book, so what I kind of decided to do was yeah. I'm going to retell this allegory, uh -huh. but I'm going to do it in a way that the people... The third manifesto. The third manifesto. Right, yeah. Right, because the first two are... The first one is kind of a creation myth. Um, the second one is just a really dry, what you think right, of a right, manifesto. Right, right, a manifesto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. And then the third one is this like science, like maybe the first science fiction novel sure. ever written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it precedes the Book of Mormon. So yes, I guess yeah. so. <laughs> yeah. In grad school, I did a, my, my, my thesis, or well, one of my major projects was looking at the Book of Mormon as alternative history uh, and Doctrine of Covenants as a, um, what did I say it was? As a, gosh, it was science fiction. And my teacher loved it. Um, but no, I'm, I'm horribly intrigued by this. this uh, it's, that is really, really cool. So you're retelling of the third manifesto. Yeah. So I'm retelling the, the, the chemical wedding of Christian Rosenkreuz, mm -hmm. is the official name. And it's told in seven days. So the first day, the second day, sure. the third. And the, this seems familiar for some reason. Right. Well, I just, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, quick question is, is, is Christian the name ironic or what? what? No. So it is a, it's a Christian allegory. Okay. Uh -huh. So okay. it is Christ of the Rose Cross. Okay. Huh. Yeah, and so the the image the the potency in the image of the rose cross is that what they're trying to do is they recognize that because of history up to their time, uh, the feminine has kind of been cut out of society and mm -hmm. religion, especially. Um, it's been devalued, and part of what they're wanting to do is reawaken uh, the feminine and then integrate. The masculine and the feminine in a in like alch alchemically like thinking mm -hmm. of in the sense that like an alchemist would want to turn lead into gold mm -hmm. in this like radical transformation kind of a way one of the ways that they think about it is as a reawakening like what is wrong with man is that the the feminine has kind of been shut down sure and it needs to be re awakened and then integrated mm -hmm. and they see this as being like as this is the actual kind of christian mystery so th this whole like transforming lead into gold that's a metaphor for um genuine like christian conversion you know uh, yeah it's the conversion that happens inside of sure, the, sure yeah. the soul yeah is turning lead into gold right right that's the way that they're playing with uh, the metaphor. With the, with the alchemy. With the alchemy, the alchemy side yeah. of it. Yeah. Al so they're thinking of alchemy as being a metaphor for Christianity. Mm. Alchemy is an older thing than that. And so I'm trying, I'm trying to embrace kind of the entire history of yeah. <laughs> alchemy. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Which goes back to the Egyptians. Right. 
but where it kind of started with the Rosicrucians is that. Uh, but it's told in seven days, and so I'm writing seven novels. Seven parts, yeah, seven novels, yeah. And kind of what happens in each of the seven days happens in my in my novel. Okay, yeah. Like what yeah. happens in the first day of the of the chemical wedding? Uh-huh. Uh, Christian, it's a, it begins on Easter Sunday. Christian Rosenkreutz is uh, saying his prayers, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a knock at his door, and at the door is the angel of the Lord, uh, who gives him an invitation to the wedding of the king and the queen. Hmm. And that's all that happens. That's what, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And with the book, it, it makes so, so much ha- sense. Right, yeah. that happens. In, right, yeah. <laughs> that, and that ha- well, we don't want to give too much away. That's the hard part. But we don't want to give too much right. away. But yeah, right. And I can, it's, yeah. And so when you... I'm I'm horribly intrigued. Well, I'm just happy you started with something nice and light and easy. Well, then you know? no, but Adrian says, <laughs> well, Adrian says, well, it's not that interesting. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I've done a lot of podcasts. And I'm like, okay, you know, I, like with my stuff, I, when I start a book, it's not that interesting. You know, I'm like, ah, I base it on an essay. That's a pretty boring <laughs> shit, right? Adrian's like, it's not that interesting. And I've been I've been intrigued for the last 10 minutes. I know. This, the whole history of... Fantastic. I know, I know. Like, this is probably the best answer <laughs> to what was the conception of a novel that we've had in years. 100%. 100% yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, no, it's cool. <laughs> I, guess, it's I felt like it was uninteresting because well, no. it really just came from like, what the hell do those words together mean? Well, what yeah. What does the but, chemical wedding mean? No, no. It was like, what, why do you, the question is, really like why'd you write this book and that was probably one i probably learned more in that one yeah than i have in four years yeah by mm-hmm. about a conception of a book oh. yeah yeah and that was cool that was really <laughs> really cool so so now looking at it you're retelling each 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 story oh if i can say one more sure. thing about yeah, absolutely. Like where you, where you kind of started with that yeah. one of the things that i that really made me happy inside mm-hmm. was when you said this is a book that i could have never written. Mm-hmm. And I love that feeling. Like that is one of the things that makes me love literature and love um, literary fiction in particular is mm-hmm. when I read something that is just, is such a confrontation with the other mm-hmm. that I know that I could not have, I know that like in the kind of solipsistic sophist way, mm-hmm. I am not the only thing that exists right. in the universe. Right. Because I could have never come up with this. Right. That's this a re- is not something that would have come from me. Right. Well, know? sometimes, yeah, you sink into, you think, well, you sink into that feeling of, am I creating my own universe? Right. You and know, you kind of, especially with the stuff these days with like where you think something and then you're on Facebook and the ad pops up. Mm. You're kind of like, I think I'm creating, or, or you learn a new word. What do they call that? What's the term where you learn something new and then all of a sudden it's in your and you world. hear it all the time. You hear it all the yeah. time. That You know what? That, or you that, buy the car and then you see them everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Well, I don't know what that's called. I don't know either. Yeah. But the, it happens all the time. You're like, yeah. I learned that new word. Then all of a sudden I hear that word all the time. And I, I probably did my whole life, but. I never knew it. I wasn't paying attention. And I, you're exactly right. It's like, I could never write this book. So I could never imagine this book being written. So I am not, yeah, al- I, I can't be alone in this universe. I feel like my my first experience of that was reading a uh, female author. Like wi- like women would write a book that I was, yeah, like I right. would have never written this book. Right, I could never, <laughs> from my experience. I would not, yeah, yeah. like my experience yeah. of being a person in the world is so, so completely different. different yeah, we live in different. The priorities that this book sets yeah. as its priorities right. that I, 
on. Yeah. I know that I'm not the only thing that exists right. in the universe. Yeah. yeah. I thought was, that's awesome. Cause I was like, that's so true. Yeah. Cause I, you know, cause so, I do, do you ever get, you ever get in that feeling? Like, I don't know, man, I think maybe I'm making all this stuff up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. I mean, if you think enough, right. But this is, that's a perfect example of how we can't, Yeah. you know, and my wife says to me things all the time and he's talking about women. She's like, you live in a different world than I do. And she's, she's right. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't want to just tie it to the difference between men. And of women, course but, not. Right. But that's, that's just an example. That's an but, example. So that resonates Absolutely. with, I love when people say things like that because that, yeah. I know what they're feeling. Well, and I, I feel that way with poets. Yeah. I really feel that. I mean, I love, like when I started, I've said this now, this is one thing that's been said a million times on this podcast. Before I write every morning, I got like, I get 20 minutes a day to write. Uh-huh. That's it. Because before the day starts, I'm sure you understand this. We don't get a lot of time to write. Like kids, family, kids, family and work, yeah. work. And yeah. before I start in the morning, I read poetry because it gets me into that space. It's it, it gets me in that space a lot faster than reading prose does. Yeah, that's a good way to start your day. Yeah, I mean, I actually read poetry to get into the writing process. That's like what, yeah, that's I what begin yeah. like when I'm actually sitting down to write my pages mm-hmm. for the day, mm-hmm. or my work. Like I, if I'm lucky, it's pages. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But, right. Um, I read a little poetry that's just because the concision of the language and the kind yep. of bigness yeah language and that i'm exactly the same it puts like, me in that space every morning i can't write until i read uh-huh. and so i pick up i pick up poetry every single morning well every morning that i write i pick up poetry because it's immediately heavy all or right. all right i want to know rich. what you guys read though what yeah are, what, are, what are you, yeah, guys are you ever worried about um just adopting the voice that you're reading i wasn't and beginning. writing that way in the beginning hmm. you know i mean how long have you been writing yeah, a long time. Right, same. I think what I think in the beginning, yeah, I was worried, and maybe I did. I might have even. Uh-huh. Um, but now, no. Now I know. Once once I get my rhythm, uh, you know, because I here's what I do, and this is not my interview, Adrian. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Adrian's good. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I want to hear your. He's process interviewing too. me back here. Uh-huh. Um, I open my Scribner document. Document. I read what I wrote the re- the day before, so I know what I'm my goal is so you kind of refresh a little yeah bit. and then i read poetry and i jump back in knowing what i want to read and i know my own voice no, enough now as you do sure that no but maybe in the beginning yeah maybe in the mm-hmm. beginning i did adopt it maybe I, I you know um adopted that kind of well i definitely have that like if yeah. i if i read things that i wrote when i was in my early 20s or even in my teens yeah there are little scraps of like oh sure music lyrics yeah Right in there, you know, so I was like picking that up. Right. Yeah. I I think if I look back a decade, 15 years ago, I can see who I was reading in nonfiction in my writing. Uh huh. Yeah. In their sent in the prose, in the syntax. Sure. In the diction. Um, now I've got my own thing, I think enough. Um, but I can see, oh, I can see it. I can see Abby back 15 years ago, Uh 20 years ago. I can see. Terry Tempest Williams in it. Lots yeah. of Utah desert writers. Sure. Yeah. I feel the same way. But when I say that to people, a lot of people are worried, are, are suspicious and skeptical of that process because they're scared that what they read is going to influence what they write. Like they're almost kind of scared of plagiarism. Like they don't want to read something and then sure. write that yeah. too closely, you know? Yeah. Mine's about headspace. 
Mm-hmm. It's all about. It's just poetry gets me in a headspace. Yeah, me too. It gets me in a in a mood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. And, and but I, I can't write poetry. I start to feel like a wordsmith. I start yeah. to feel like language flows out of me. Exactly. Like, I am such a feast. We are that so I much. Had, we know? are so much the same. Yeah. We are so much mm. the same because I I yeah poetry gets me in. I don't believe in muse. I believe in. I mean, uh, I believe in initial muse. Do you know what I mean? Like to write a book. Like you had the, you looked, you, 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 you ran into this, the Rosencrucians. Is that close? Yeah. Rosencrucians. Rosencrucians. And that's muse. You're like, I need to, I love that. I want to tell a story in a literary slash magical realism slash. And I think it's, I, I swear the prose feels noir. Maybe that's the time period too, but it was like, that's Muse. I think that initial boom, I, I want to write this book. I the think inspiration I can write, the inspiration, the mm-hmm. inspiration, but the daily stuff, I don't think the daily stuff is Muse. I think the daily stuff is getting myself in the headspace. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, the yeah. way I think about the Muse, I guess, I believe in it a little more. more. I think than most people want to kind of like the whole uh, 99% perspiration, 10% inspiration. Yeah. I definitely, like in the day to day grind, I totally. Yeah agree with that right but also i have plenty of moments where i write something and like kind of read back over it and, and you're like, like wow that was who wrote yeah, that? yeah 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 absolutely <laughs> well and as as, <laughs> as writers who've been writing so long you're in the grind every day writing you're getting your words out you don't remember writing them sometimes like you go back yes, like, they, like you probably too. look at your book sometimes you're like i don't remember writing that paragraph it's pretty darn good, though. I, yeah, you know, that I was a good paragraph. And we don't, we don't give ourselves that much credit often. I for sure don't. I don't, I don't think either. I deserve that much credit. I, uh, I, I'm, the, I'm the same way. <laughs> I'm the absolute. But I definitely think I will even get to the end of my words for the day. And if you asked me, how much did you write today? I would say like two paragraphs. Yeah. And I wrote like three pages. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. Lately, I've been at, I've been at three. I, my goal lately, just because of life, has been 300 words. If I get 300 and yeah. I would, before that brand's been with me here for five years, a thousand words was always my, my, my daily lately. It's a 300. You yeah, feel like, like an underachiever now. I please? feel like, I feel like, or, or do you feel lighter now? I feel like the pressure's off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I feel like the pressure's off a little bit. Yeah. You know, I really do. Um, I write a paragraph or two a day, yeah. half a, half a page. A yeah. Day. Yeah. That's and a it, big book for a, Paragraph a day. Yeah, yeah. How long I, did it take to write? I start well, I started it in earnest in twenty fourteen. Okay. But I wrote two novels before I yeah, thought about sh- publishing this one. Yeah. It probably took me two and a half to three years. Once once you in start the first rolling. draft and then but it was also really clean. Like another thing that I do is write really pretty pretty slowly and meticulously. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a ton I do have some, but I don't have a ton of revision to go back the second time yeah second same time. with me i'm the same way um because the structure the like the narrative structure is pretty tight and in place already yeah. already because i have been so deliberate and slow yeah. about the process right yeah and there there will still be parts that like i got to the end and there's a, a couple parts that need to be written that i never wrote Mm-hmm. And they kind of need to be filled in and written. Yeah. So I need to go back and do those. Yeah. Yeah. And there'll be a couple parts that like I thought would matter and they were really compelling to me in the moment. But now that I see the full art. You you can take them out. They don't really yeah, belong. Or, yeah. Uh, so I never delete them. I cut them and I put them in a file. Sure. And there'll be something else. Right. You know? Absolutely. I don't actually murder my darlings. 
I yeah, just, I just I just try to find the right home for them. I just save <laughs> I just save as. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Save yeah. as. They mm-hmm. still exist somewhere. I, that reminds me, I have a question for both of you. Yeah. Because I'm not I'm not a writer. I you are a writer. Dream to be. Um I want Brandon's gonna be a writer. That's true. There's a there's a movie, famous movie, Love Actually. And there's mm-hmm. a character in there, that's, and he's a writer, and he uses an old-fashioned typewriter. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment there, a scene, it's a beautiful scene, where the wind comes up, and all the papers go in the pond, and then they got to go get all the papers and save them. Mm-hmm. Do you ever sometimes wish you could just go back to the paper, or is this like the save as and the copy and paste, and this is just makes everything so much easier that it's way better now? Adrian, you go first. I think about that all the time, mm-hmm. because I think I actually write differently if I'm writing longhand in a notebook versus mm-hmm. if I'm typing on a computer. Mm-hmm. Like the thing that I actually create is a totally different thing, mm-hmm. depending on which one I'm doing. Yeah. So if I'm having a, like if I'm having, I don't want to say writer's block because I don't, I have mixed feelings about the existence of writer's block. Um, but if I'm having a hard time and it's just really like I'm I'm not pulling anymore, I'm pushing this. Yeah. Thing, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'll go back to a spiral bound notebook and start writing mm. that way to kind of clear that. But I have noticed that. Well, for one thing, like if you have to write longhand, then you're a little more you kind of know the whole sentence before you actually start sure. writing. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Whereas if you're typing, then you just kind of as thoughts come you type and then you may delete 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 start again uh it's happening kind of in real time but if you have to actually like scratch something out every time you screw up then you're a little more careful about at what point do i am i done thinking about what i want to write and i actually write it down Mm -hmm. um so sometimes just that kind of meditative deliberateness is what you need to kind of like get over a hump Mm -hmm. you know so yeah, I totally think that you create something different based on if you are typing or if you are writing or writing or you're on a. I was gonna. I actually was almost gonna say word processor, but a computer. <laughs> you know. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. my my computer basically is a word yeah, processor. Yeah, yeah. It's not a very fancy computer. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it's that's really interesting. I'm I'm blocked. I I brand's gone. Like I said, we've been doing this a while. And I always say there's no writer's block, but I, I disagree. I'm trying to write this essay right now about Michael Hutchins mm. and about his life and how this merge of my life, Michael Hutchins' life. And obviously, no, Michael Hutchins never knew I existed. It's not anything like that. I've never met the man. Um, but I'm blocked. I'm blocked right now. And, and I, you know, I use because I want to say something real with it. You know what I mean? You're like, I, a lot of essays I write that I've published, I tell a story. And the yeah. story's entertaining. You know what I mean? And people like it because it's entertaining. And there's a, you know, maybe a lesson at the end or not a lesson, but at least a looking back at some kind of. And you're s- a good writer in, uh, well, that, in that mode. Yeah. Right? And you have a. I want to say something with this essay. And now I'm blocked because I, you know what I mean? It's almost like I have a thesis. Um, and that is killing me with it. And here's the thing going back to what Adrian was saying about writing the different forms and different creativity through the forms. I don't think I started really right. I didn't think, think of myself as a, I never started creative writing until 2000, 2000. And I was at Kansas state and my parents like bought me this laptop and this was basically like, it looked like a car battery, you know, it was, that's <laughs> yeah. how thick it was. Yeah. And it was basically a word processor at the, you know, it was so old and stuff like that. I've never written 
by hand. Really? Never. But maybe this is something that I should do with where I'm blocked right now. This is your your little key. Yeah. This is my little un- key. Because I'm- I still it's not what it used to be, but I still have the callus on my middle finger mm-hmm. from writing so much mm. all the time. You can still see it, although it used to be enormous. It used mm. to be freakish. Now it's not so much because I mostly type, but I used to have this enormous callus mm. on my finger from, from like where the pencil would sit. Yeah. You know? I never did it. I never did it, um, which is really intriguing. It's really intriguing. This is Case Johnson. This is a literally <laughs> podcast. We were talking to Adrian Stump today, and this conversation got... R- I love it. Yeah, so I, I forgot I to do our little break in, our little yeah. chop. Um, we're t- we we began talking yeah, show your about book off, yeah, yeah yeah show the book. Um, we began talking about the crow's head, the first book of seven, um, based on the. You gotta say it again for me. Uh, the the chemical wedding of Christian Rosenkreutz. Christian Rosenkreutz. Just rolls off the tongue. It rolls off the tongue, not for me. Um, <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed the book. But I love the prose. I love the prose, and I love the weaving of dreams and how. I'm I'm feel even more enlightened today because of the fever dreams that the, that Adrian was was talking about and how they are mirror uh, metaphorical all at the same time but um, weaving throughout the book. Yeah, so if you if you're gonna go buy a book and if you're gonna go buy a book from an Ogden author, go buy go buy the book. I have a question. Yeah, uh, I'm curious about audience when you yeah. write something like this because uh-huh. it's so new and and maybe a little a little different. Like who who do you consider and and who reaches this type of a reading first? Yeah, I don't know. This is one of the things that I struggle with mm-hmm. when I have conversations with my kind of my friends and my wife and just kind of like trying to think out loud about like who am I talking to? Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. who? You probably like understand the feeling when all the time you kind of like are writing or get kind of to the end of your writing day. And I'm like, who fucking cares right. about what I have right. to say all the time? Anything, yeah. You know? Like, why is this a thing that needs to exist in the world? Right. Well, because you care. I should just make more money is what I should, <laughs> I should just spend more time at work. <laughs> yeah. Because you know? yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, as, as we know, our books haven't brought us any money. I don't know. Yours might, but mine has, you know, I, we were, we were doing a financial, we're redoing our financial like retirement stuff. Uh-huh. And the woman who's I doing it, for that, but. yeah, the woman who's doing it said, well, what about royalties? Can we put that in as your, your monthly salary? And I looked at her like, what are you fucking talking about? <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. royalties. <laughs> no, no royalties. Not, yeah. Anyway, sorry, I, I cut you off. Dead, anyway. yeah, yet, yeah. Yet. Not the not the <laughs> not the claim on my retirement. That's for sure. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. I have a hard time kind of under like thinking about who is my audience. I mean, I definitely start and when I'm actually when I'm actually writing, what I'm trying to do is write the book that I would want to read that nobody has written, you know, I kind of hold that space. Like Mm -hmm. I want to write the book that I would like to read that nobody's written. That's a good space. It is. Because it creates its potentially its own audience. Yeah, but that's hard to market because it's kind of like you've got to market eh. it from zero. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to actually create yeah. that I understand. space. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But you're writing authentically to you. Yeah. So I would say that it is a crossover genre. People who... Yeah, that was my first question. Peop, people who yeah. like... I planned that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> certainly crossover fiction. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. 
uh, kind of literary fiction and crime fiction and fantasy fiction. Yeah. It's some matrices of these three mm -hmm. things. Yeah. Be because even though it's not in the genre sense, I also kind of, I think of it as primarily being a love story. Mm -hmm. So Sure. Yeah. That, yeah. A romance. Well, not a romance. But it's not a, yeah. No, I yeah, don't a love think story. of it as being a romance novel. But yeah. It is a, it's, its spine is really built out of a relationship and a well, love story. Right. But yeah, that, and that's your literary sense, isn't it? It's character driven. It yeah. is. Yes, it is. It's a character driven fantasy story yeah. with, uh, with crime, with noir crime fiction tropes. Like I said, I could never write this book. <laughs> Again, you know, like the, they could the, never the come from my brain. The elevator <laughs> pitch is not. <laughs> no, I, love, I love it. I love it because that's where we began this entire interview. Yeah. Like, you know. I just want to write things that you have not read before. You know, you've yeah. definitely not read that before. Yeah. I think I, there's a market for that. but I do too. Yeah. But it's hard to market too. I'm. I agree, and I'm glad. I'm glad that you agree that there is yeah. a market for it. But, but it's kind of it's one problem to kind of like create a thing that has never been created, and it's another thing to like sell that thing that yeah. people don't yeah, know absolutely. kind of how to. True. Read. It. There's not already that category right. in your yeah. brain. It's right. Hard. They don't type that in to Amazon. They don't search that. They don't yeah. search that. Yeah. That's the right. Yeah. That's that's what's hard. So in that sense, the way that I've been trying to kind of um, frame it for people is just through kind of combinations of those things. Yeah. It's a it's a crime fantasy. It, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just kind of combinations of those. Right. Yeah. Things. It's a it's a literary fantasy. With gothic noir prose. Yeah, sure, <laughs> That's what yeah. I yeah. sure. <laughs> I love those are, Yeah. <laughs> I just kind of like make them up as I go. Well, of and, course. We, and every once in a while, I'm like, oh, that was a good one. Like yeah. write that one down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think anything we're exposing on this podcast and many others is we have no plan. We have, well, I mean, well, Adrian actually does because he's retelling these seven stories. But when it comes down to the day to day stuff. We're just well, and especially it. like how to market it, like how to oh, how to yeah. send it out into the world yeah. and tell people about it. I'm yeah. I'm so not worrying about that when I'm actually writing. No, and maybe no. I should more. I respect that so much. Uh, well, you <laughs> can't can do that. You can't. You can't. Or you're not going to be like we talked about earlier. You can't be in the headspace. You can't be thinking about marketing. It's a different brain. It's a yeah. different brain. You can't be thinking about marketing place. when you're yeah. when you're trying to create something. My favorite part about writing is creating. I hate that I. And this is the honest God truth. Like with some stuff lately, I've been sharing a lot on Facebook about, you know, stuff that's been happening. I yeah. hate that part. I hate that part. I hate saying buy my book. I hate saying buy my book. Oh, I don't mind saying buy my book. Oh, I, oh uh, I'm not but good at it. But telling you that like you should buy my book instead of. Yeah. I will say by something else. I will like, say well, buy Adrian's book before like mine. I, I have no problem. <laughs> this whole podcast was created so that I could say buy Adrian books and Adrian's book instead of mine. That's that's this whole podcast. That's why we started it, right? I mean, the, no, that's true. At the heart, promoting at, other authors. Promoting other authors. Yeah, buy them both. Yeah, buy yeah. Case's book is awesome. Buy them both. Yeah, buy, buy them both. both. I love it. I, from two Ogden authors, you know. Buy them Which both. is cool, by the way. Which is very <laughs> yeah. cool. This is one of the. The, I like Renaissance case and I don't know if it's a vibe because I think that we've had better conversation. We've, we've had some really great conversations and this was one of my favorites. So I yeah, really, this is a good I one. really appreciate I feel like I learned I, when I learned something, I feel like that was a great podcast. Yeah. 
thank you so much for joining us. I mean, this it goes is, by fast. It huh? goes by really, yeah. really fast. Thanks for this having me. Yeah, we just hit 45 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Today, this is Case Johnson Literally Podcast. We are, we are um, po- uh, podcasting from Banyan One. Do you say Banyan One or Banyan Studios? Sure, Banyan One's. I th- it was Banyan here, One here forever. Banyan Studios, did, did, yeah. Well, it was Banyan One. Or we- this is the Banyan One trailer oh, inside okay. Banyan yeah. Studios. I was wondering... You like to get specific with it. Oh, That's yeah. not necessarily the. Well, I was wondering if there's going to be a Banyan two. Um, this hope is so. Banyan one uh, <laughs> with Brandon and our guest Adrian Stump with talking about his book The Crow's Head. And we just want to thank you again. I really had a really good time. Today. Yeah, me too. This yeah. was a great conversation. And re- thank you, Rooster. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're, we're so glad to have sure. you. And other Ognathers, you know, it's it's really just cool to sit face to face and say that we're we're working in this space together and trying to create a literary community and. I think Ogden is really rich. Ogden. I do too. Obviously. I do too. Yeah. Ogden's a great place to be a writer. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Well, thank you so much for this. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. Sweet. Awesome. Cool. That was so much fun. Yeah, that was painless. Oh, well, I'm surprised it was over so fast. It was, yeah, 45 minutes.